Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and I am joined today by Linda Criblet. Thank you so much for joining me, Linda. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I am so excited to talk to you. So this has been, for, for our listeners, this has been a few months in the works because Linda has a super, super interesting and impressive background and we had to get things properly vetted and and so just so you guys know um, I am so incredibly elated to introduce Linda to you today so Linda now as of what yesterday as of yesterday serves as the deputy director of homeland security at the Georgia emergency management and homeland security agency In this position, she oversees the Homeland Security Division, which includes field coordinators, intelligence, critical infrastructure, and cybersecurity departments of the agency, with a focus on school safety, public safety, critical infrastructure protection, and cybersecurity. A retired chief of station and senior operations officer for the Central Intelligence Agency, that is the CIA, she has expertise in counterterrorism, hard target threats, and cybersecurity. Her range of assignments included leading a CIA station with regional branches, dozens of personnel, and covering a large geographic area, managing relationships with dozens of agencies and partners. (laughs) This is so incredibly impressive. Her Washington-based assignments included an executive role, leading the personnel planning, contractor training, budget, strategy, policy, communications, and employee engagement for hundreds of personnel, and a budget in the hundreds of millions of dollars. She served as an operations officer with assignments around the world and started her operational career as part of the 9-11 task force. She began her career with GEMA Homeland Security in 2022, immediately after her retirement from the CIA. She earned a BA in Russian history and an MA in international relations from the University of Chicago. Wow. So impressive. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So I cannot wait to dive into this. So I mean, so, so, so many questions, but I just want to actually just get started by saying what led you to the CIA? So I never had any plan or inclination of joining the CIA. I am from a farming family in Ohio. Wow. And in college, I studied uh, Russian history and international relations And at the time, my plan was to become a professor. And I was a very altruistic young woman. And I was convinced that I was going to come up with a theory to settle international conflict and and to um, promote, you know, global harmony. Yeah. Well, it's not too late. (laughs) We still need that. (laughs) Right. So that that was my plan, but um, very altruistic. But at the same time, I was realistic enough to, to 
appreciate that perhaps I might be more credible in, in that, um, mm-hmm. being more than uh, 22 years old and having some real world experience. Sure. So yeah. I thought to myself, gosh, where can I get real world experience? And I thought, I know, I've watched movies. The CIA, th- those guys, <laughs> those guys got real world experience. So wow. I applied and miraculously uh, got a job there and just ne- never looked back. So, Linda, tell me about your journey to the CIA. What is that like? Because I know it's it's a little different than, you know, just going out and applying for jobs on Indeed. I'm sure there's a much more, you know, scrutinized process that's involved. So if somebody's 20 years old and they're listening to this, mm-hmm. what, what would be your recommendation? What do they study or how do they go about joining the CIA? Well, in terms of what to study, we need career sets from all across the spectrum, from Mm -hmm. the kind of degree I had, traditional international relations, Russian history, to technology degrees, even the visual arts. We we need people from all walks of life. But the main thing to stress is patience. And Uh you might as well have a job or be in school and and be prepared to wait. So it was different back when I applied than than it is now in a lot of ways, but Mm -hmm. fundamentally it's the same. So I'm embarrassed to admit I'm old enough that back then Mm -hmm. you applied by mail and the U.S. Postal Service. So I mailed in an application and then there were interviews and polygraphs and background investigations and and all of that is interspersed with long periods of waiting and radio silence. And Uh and that's definitely (laughs) true today. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was kind of funny about my my journey is that when I was ultimately hired by CIA, it directly coincided with uh, my marriage to my husband, Uh to whom I am still married. (laughs) And... The individual who did my background investigation interviewed my character references the week uh, preceding and following my wedding. Oh, wow. And one of my mom's friends <laughs> was so offended. She she interrogated and said, did you attend Linda's wedding in order to vet her for federal <laughs> service? That is invasive. And he was so aghast. He had no idea what she was talking about. Right. But um, after that, there was more waiting. And then I ended up finding out that I had been hired while I was on my honeymoon. My husband and I went on an extended honeymoon in Europe, and mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't talk about it internationally, but I would call home every few days and ask my mom, um, did I get any mail? And every day it was no, no. And then one day I was in Paris uh-huh. and asked the question, and, and she said, you got some mail. And I said, please open it. <laughs> and uh, just tell me yes or no. And she said the answer was yes. Oh, and wow. I was just elated, elated. Mm-hmm. But we were on our honeymoon. So we went out on our day of sightseeing. and But my husband said... Linda, this is such an important day for you and for us, and and I want to capture the moment. So I want to take a picture of how you feel today so that you can always remember it. And back then, there were no cell phone cameras, so I had to wait to see the picture when I got home. But the image that he captured was... I literally jumped in the air for joy and I had this look of elation on my face and the hugest smile and I was right in front of the Louvre. Oh, that's so cool. And I always kept that picture and I would look at it 
either in my mind's eye or, or physically, mm-hmm. especially on bad days or when I had screwed something up and just reminded myself of that girl mm-hmm. and just remembered that whatever problems you're having today, she would have been thrilled yes. to change Absolutely. places with you. So. Wow, that's such a good story. I love that. And I think that's something that we can all keep in mind of, you know, how we felt when we took a job or started college because we're going to have hard days, right? And Absolutely. so those hard days feel like they're weighing on you, but it's not bigger than that moment of like, I really did something here, right? So good for you. I love that story. That's Thank very you. cool. So without disclosing confidential information, can you tell me about one of the most meaningful assignments that you've ever had at the CIA? So that's a a great question and a tough question for me Uh because literally every assignment in CIA is the best assignment in CIA because (laughs) after you reach a certain point in your career, you have your choice of assignments. You have to bid on them and earn them, but Mm. the world is your oyster. You can live and work in any part of the world and work on any problem set. So like every single one of my assignments was one I just cherished. But this is dated, but there's no better honor that I ever had in my career than serving as part of the CA's response to 9-11. Yeah. So prior to 9-11, I was working in the counterterrorism center and, and we knew an, an attack was coming, you know, there, yeah. there was intelligence information out there. Um, this has been written about in books. Um, but, we, but we didn't know enough about time, place, location to stop it. Right. But there was a sense of urgency. And I remember running down the halls of Langley with one of my bosses trying to keep up partly because he was so much taller than me and I was in heels <laughs> and I'm short, but he kept saying, Linda, we have to convince the folks downtown that something is going to happen. But, you know, we did our best, but that day happened and it was terrible for all Americans, especially people who lost family members and and loved ones in, in that attack. But it left me with equal parts guilt that we didn't do something to stop the attack, even though we we weren't able to it yeah. just wasn't possible but also determination to go after the masterminds of that attack and make sure it never happened again so right. i was privileged to be a part of the task force that that did that and and while it was on the task force we captured several of the individuals responsible um so i was involved in that and and um we were successful in, in preventing some, some counterattacks and mm-hmm. it was just the experience of a lifetime. And, and one thing I think is pertinent to this context to say about that task force is that it was predominantly led by women. Now there were, really? there were men involved right. um, all over the place, but uh, especially in the field, the ones that, that sure. did a lot of the op- operational work in the field. But in terms of the people combing through leads like night and day, it was dominated by women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you would have taken a picture of that group, you wouldn't have thought, hey, there's a group of super spies. You would have thought, is this a Girl Scout convention? Wow. Why is it? <laughs> and everyone looks tired. Um, <laughs> oh, we're exhausted. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was a tremendous group. And, and, from that group are, are some of my biggest mentors. One of them was uh, Jen Matthews, who tragically died in, mm-hmm. in the coast incident in Pakistan. Wow. She was one of my first bosses in, in CIA, and um, she 
you know, again, tragically passed away in that yeah. incident. And then the other was Gina Haspel, who went on to become the first female director of CIA. And wow. I had the opportunity to work with her off and on throughout my career. And I just have to say, she was a role model to me because she is one of the most humble, down-to-earth women you would meet. But she is wicked smart on top mm-hmm. of it. And she kept a low profile as a director, so to speak, but she got us through COVID. She was responsible for so many successes. That's um, awesome. I mean, and I'm so incredibly excited that you had great women mentors, even in a field like the CIA, because I think we all have the perception that being a woman would be incredibly challenging and that you'd be one of the few. So it's so encouraging to hear that you, you know, you were on a task force that was mostly women and that women are out there doing really badass things absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and you know going after terrorists and protecting our country so I mean I'm just elated to hear that so that's incredible so how does being a female in the CIA differentiate you like did you have an advantage did you have a disadvantage I know that you were saying that a lot of the women on the task force for 9-11 were female. So can you tell me what that feels like in the CIA? Do you think it's an advantage or a disadvantage? And do you see women who are in, you know, kind of that super spy position Mm -hmm. um, out in the field? So it's a, it's a relatively level playing field. When, when you start, we, we, hire, um, and I think this is true when I started and it's definitely true now, you know, equal parts, men and women. It, and it, the, it largely depends on the profession you choose, but being an operations officer, there's some tremendous advantages to being a woman actually, because you're doing clandestine work overseas and in your job is not to be caught right right <laughs> and 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 in a lot of different societies women are underestimated Absolutely. so they look at me and they think oh she's probably a secretary or a spouse or, yeah. or whatever an administrative person and so I felt that I could get away with a lot of things my male colleagues had more difficulty doing now at the same time there were things that were easier for them and I had to make adjustments in in terms of how I approach certain things to mm-hmm. keep not on a very professional uh, sitting when inter- interacting overseas with with men, so that it was yeah. abundantly clear this was a professional situation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but 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 I didn't find that as an uh, encumberment. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I found it to be an advantage. Really? That's fascinating. Well, and especially I would think that, you know, in, in like overseas, if you're going after terrorists or you're you're in a country where women are kind of marginalized, um, I imagine being a woman might also um, kind of be a little, it's almost like, like you were saying, you, you're underestimated, but is it, is it also something where they're immediately you know, wondering why you're there. Yes. And, but they also fundamentally look at you as an American. And and I've Uh heard um, people say this that are, you know, uh, from different um, nationalities and backgrounds, even, you know, our, our, naturalized citizens that that work at the agency that when you present yourself as CIA or, and this is true for State Department officials or the U.S. military, 
foreign nationals look at you as an American first and foremost, and even in countries that where women are really kept in hiding, yeah. they treat you like an, a representative of the U.S. government. And and I, I always really uh, valued that, and it was something that surprised me. Um, hmm. That's really fascinating. Well, and, you know, it's when we go back to that women in um, the CIA thing, I, you know, I also had Debbie Gardner on here who was with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation mm-hmm. and she was in charge of a, a Internet Crimes Against Children and she was saying that in her department it was also mostly women. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just love that, you know, women are out here doing some really incredible things, which was kind of the reason that this podcast started is I'm very fortunate to know some exceptional women in my life, and I think everybody should know them. <laughs> like Everybody should know you, and everybody should know Debbie, and everybody should know all these women out here doing incredible things, because I think it's such an inspiration, and it's really eye-opening to see the impact that you're making um, throughout the world, not just, you know, in our communities. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. And thank you for having this platform for women. You know, I've watched a a lot of your shows and broadcasts and I learned something Mm -hmm. new every time. And it's just wonderful. You know, women a lot of times don't have tremendous amount of free time because of family and work (laughs) obligations but they have time Mm -hmm. to listen to a podcast and learn something so thank you and I try to make it um informative you know and and we talk about a lot of things that I think anyone can can relate to in their regular life whether it's you know finance or business or being an author you know whatever that is I think there's so much that we can learn from each other so thank you so we know that the CIA's mission is to protect our national security but with the constant threat of cyber attacks and the recent release of over two million credit card numbers on the dark web what can we be doing at home to ensure we're not putting our families and our country at risk? So that is a phenomenal question. And cybersecurity, in my opinion, is the national security challenge of our time for, yeah. for every country around yeah. the world, not just the United States. And part of my motivation for retiring out of CIA when I was age eligible and starting a career at GMA Homeland Security is that... Um, from my optic, after 9-11, we did a wonderful job of keeping foreign threats overseas. Yes, I But agree. nowadays, between cyber threats, you know, threats to our infrastructure and, and IP, the, the battle is inside. And so mm. I wanted to be, you know, working right. for a domestic agency. GEMA Homeland Security manages the state cybersecurity portal. So mm-hmm. um, there... There's a lot of federal agencies, state agencies, really smart people working on this issue. But but what you the question you asked, what can we do, is is yeah. tremendously important because the internet was designed to share information. It was not designed to protect information, and yes. no amount of work, no matter how hard we try, is going to close all the holes. So, in in my professional experience at CIA and and now at GEMA, I can tell you that a a majority of cyber attacks have some form of human element in them Mm. in the sense that someone makes a mistake along the way. And I don't mean that to disparage anyone, but just in the, in the rush of the day, you click a link or, or you allow a vulnerability in your system. And, And there's, 
you know, cy- cybersecurity education is not sexy stuff. Mm-mm. You know, no one really likes to deep dive into it. But right. those boring things like, you know, making sure you're using a VPN, multi-factor mm-hmm. authentication, and making sure you're uh, use- communicating with trusted sources, all of mm-hmm. those things um, can protect you. And, you know, it's not 100% security, but you yeah. absolutely have, have to do it. And, and the optic I take anymore is that you have to protect your information and your cybersecurity just like you would protect your home, your family, and your valuables. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, they make it so tricky now. Um, like I have a VPN on my phone and my computer mm-hmm. and everything. And and it gets annoying because I'm like, okay, I can't go to, you know, different sites with a VPN. And so I have to pause it. And then, right. I, but then you'll get this like random, like, hey, it's the IRS sending you a text. Click this link and you'll see that you owe money. And, uh, you know, the IRS doesn't text you. Right? <laughs> so, right. you know, there's, there's things. But if you're not smart about that kind of thing it's just not your wheelhouse right so mm-hmm. they're there i mean they're clear things are just not in my wheelhouse and maybe i'm not thinking wait a minute did i pay that irs bill because you know what if it coincided with me paying an irs bill and then all of a sudden i get this text and i'm like oh wait they didn't get it let me click this you know um so i think that there's just so much where they disguise it in a way that they're pretty certain you're mm-hmm. going to at least question if you should open it. And then if you think too hard, you're probably going to go ahead and open it because you're worried about the consequences of not, right? So we have to learn that 99% of the time, it's going to be junk, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, just swipe it. And if you're worried that it's legitimate, go to the actual website login and see if there's a message waiting for you. Yeah. And a lot of what we do in in my intelligence unit that that we run is we try to put out information at the lowest classification level and if possible unclassified so it can get to the public because these attacks are happening to small businesses to mom and pop shops and it can be devastating to and and people can't recover in some situations from them so it can be financially devastating to somebody i mean if you have you know you have your retirement put into something and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden there's a cyber attack getting that money back might be next to impossible or savings account or bank or you know and so that that's a real scary scenario so as you know somebody who really understands cybersecurity, where are these threats coming from mostly what is the dark web and can you give me a little bit of insight about what is the dark web and and what does it mean if we're listed on the dark web what does that mean (laughs) well uh those are great questions and there's a lot to unpack Hack there, but um, you know, for, for for starters, you know, the the dark web is basically just the part of the in- internet that's not indexed, and where people mm. try to trade in things that are um, I- illicit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry, can you remind me of the first yeah. part of your question? So, the, so the, what the, what is the dark web, and you know, how what happens if we're in it? You know, what if we get some kind of alert that you know your information's been sold on the dark web? How do we know if it is? And you know, if we are those credit card tracking process? You know, they try to sell you on the the credit card monitoring services and the dark web monitoring. How accurate are they? And you know, is there a way for us to know if our information's on the dark web? 
So there are those services out there, but a lot of information that gets marketed on the dark web is actually information that's pub- publicly available. So okay. it's it's a really it's a really tricky space, mm-hmm. but. Um, Constantly monitoring your credit is is a great idea. Constantly checking your your bank accounts and all of your, uh, you know your pensions, all in any kind of financial um, accounts that you have. Because I believe it's a, a three day rule that the mm. FBI has the ability, uh, particularly for FDIC insured. Uh, in, uh, products mm-hmm. to get your money back. Okay. So as soon as you see a problem, you, contact the institution immediately. Don't wait. Okay. Even if you think, uh, you know, I smell something funny here. Yeah. It, it's probably don't funny. wait for the next statement to come out before you start comparing it. Make that call within three days is what you're saying. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Absolutely. I, I, and, and there's been people who have prevented major problems within their companies by, mm. by being brave enough to say, Hey, I think I made a mistake here. I clicked a link Yes, and they saved hundreds of millions of dollars oh because gosh, they spoke yeah. up and and no one wants to admit they make a mistake right, right. but but do it because yeah. your IT people have mitigations that they can put in place immediately to Okay to that's help. good to know because I think that would be a fear right if somebody clicks on something and then all of a sudden you're like oh great all of our financial information is out there now and but if somebody speaks up in time you know that's that's really great advice that you know you can potentially save a lot of money for your company for your family whatever that is um so how prevalent is uh, AI when it comes to fake so- social media profiles? So that's a growing problem. Uh-huh. And um, AI and efforts to break our encryption, mm. machine learning, um, you know, the the computing power that's being put out there, all of these are tremendously dangerous threats. And there's, yeah. again, a lot of great minds working on the problems, but we're not going to be able to to keep up with the challenge a hundred percent. So again, you know, I have this personal philosophy now that a, a well-informed citizen is our best defense against these threats. Yeah. And the analogy I made earlier, I just can't repeat enough that you have to protect your yourself and your information mm-hmm. and even the information that you consume with a, a discerning mind you know you can't take anything anymore at face value mm-hmm. um, so I'll just give you an example in in terms of of, of spoofing I my my niece runs an astrology business very uh-huh. different line uh-huh. of work than what I do <laughs> but she's got a ton of followers she's a published author under 30 and she provides readings for people so uh-huh. as soon as she became moderately successful there were I think a half dozen spoofed accounts and she didn't come to me for advice wow. she's just a, a smart <laughs> young woman and mm-hmm. she educated her her followers look these are all of the fake accounts that are out there wow. pretending to be me and I will never come to you and ask you for money because that's what these spoofed yeah. accounts were doing. They were finding her followers and, and mm. offering services. She said, my business model is you come to me. I don't come to you and ask for money. And so I, I do take comfort in the fact yeah. that I feel that the younger generation is more savvy than 
us and and, yeah. and and older people on the internet and I'll come home and I'll tell my kids something new I learned and yeah. my teenagers will tell me I know that I know <laughs> not to accept a friend request unless I know the person and yeah. I've done my vetting so yeah Oh, well, and I used to get nervous when my son would play um, Xbox because, you know, the, there were those forums that he could go on and then he could chat and play games with people. And so, you know, I, I went to him and I'm like, listen, I want you to only play with friends that you know, like, you know, in real life, not because they're friends of a friend of a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. It can't be like, well, I know him because this is so and so's friend that he plays with all the time. And I'm like, no, it has to be an actual in real life friend, because I don't want you playing video games with some 60-year-old man (laughs) who's, you know, and no offense to 60-year-old men, but they don't need to be playing video games with my kids. Correct. (laughs) Correct. At that time. So, uh, but yes, so uh, yeah, I, I... I agree that the the younger generation is. I think they're they're well aware of some of the risks and probably even more so than we are. Um, and right. you know, and I I always look at it where when you have something that is really really incredibly popular and useful and people are astonished by the the great uses of it. On the flip side, there's equally bad uses of it, like ChatGPT. Right. So I right. look at things like, you know, chat GPT is all the rage right now. Oh, it can write reports for you. It can do social media posts. It can do advertisements. Hmm. But what else? Right. Right. <laughs> so right. there's there's a sinister flip side of most things, you know, especially when it comes to machine learning and, and um, artificial intelligence. Absolutely. And and working in the CIA and now in emergency management, I've, I've always been in a risk-based field. And uh-huh. just because something has risk doesn't mean you don't take it advantage of it. You just yes. recognize the risk, try to mitigate it, and get, and get value of it. And you had asked earlier about, you know, the 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 cyber crime problem so yeah. it is it is tremendous and it's multi-pronged there's not a single source of it so you have hostile state actors mm. trying to conduct espionage you have cyber criminals trying to simply get your money some of and there's alliances within all of those groups right But what's staggering about the problem is that Georgia Cyber Center has estimated that if you take that amount of money that they're worldwide taking from the public, it is the world's third largest economy, which is mind-blowing. So that means the United States, China, and cyber criminals. And and so this is something I would say, and this is not, uh, this is Linda Crivelet talking, not the GMA Homeland Security, but a lot of people, if they have cyber insurance, they are uh, encouraged to pay a ransom to these mm-hmm. people and just recognize that that money is going to either a hostile state country or to a cyber criminal wow. who is going to do it again. Yeah. And by paying that ransom, you have not really protected yourself. You've just advertised yourself as a potentially recurring customer. Wow. And there's no guarantee they're going to unlock your your data the same way they did before. And there's no guarantee they're not going to sell your information on, on the dark web. So, oh. But I know a lot of people are put in situations that yeah. they, they can't. Well, and, you know, control. there was that, um, the, the oil company uh, was that 
couple years ago where they a cyber attack happened and they basically shut down the pipeline mm-hmm. and you know there's conflicting information about there whether they paid a ransom or didn't pay a ransom but it's scary situations like that that say listen if we keep rewarding these guys this is going to continue and so it's similar to hostages and how you Mm -hmm. know the u.s doesn't negotiate for hostages because if you start going in and giving people what they want they're going to continue taking because you become a target right Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what challenges do you feel the most significant for women around the world with all of your travels and all of your work around the world? What challenges do you see? There are, we could do a whole podcast on this with an actual ec- expert on that subject. I, I've seen, there's so many horrible things that happen to, to women around the world and things you don't even want to say out loud, like, yeah. you know, um, sexual slavery, slavery, mm-hmm. um, that's genital circumcision. I mean, mm-hmm. the challenges that you don't even think about day to day in the United States, um, right to work, um, yeah. whether or not you live or die when you give birth to a child. And these are, these are just tremendous challenges. And, and what, what I find particularly difficult about it is that there's no great U.S. solution to the problem because mm-hmm. sometimes when we intervene, we cause more problems for these individuals than we solve because then that country that's oppressing these women points to them and says they're, you know, a tool of the U.S. government. Yeah. That, that's happened in a lot of scenarios. So wow. a lot of times you see the United States government being quiet because we don't want to create more problems for these women. But but I love when I see, you know, like what Iranian women are doing right now yeah. to um, create freedom for themselves. And they're... T- taking tremendous risks to themselves. And Mm -hmm. I mean, sadly, that's what it takes for a culture to change. It has to come from the inside, not from, from the outside. And, but they need, you know what, they need their fathers and their brothers and their, and their cousins to help them too. Yeah, they absolutely do. Well, and you know, so many women that I have spoken with in this room on this podcast have talked about men championing them in Mm -hmm. their corporations and that it's made all the difference for them because when you can get uh, you know, a man to say she is worthy and she is valuable and we need to take her seriously. It resonates differently with other men. Um, you know, women can champion each other all we want to, and there's incredible value in that. And I think that, you know, we, we cannot, there's, there's something to be said for women empowering women. That's just irreplaceable. I mean, it's just something that we have to have all the time, but for men championing, championing, it's, it's taken differently by other men. And so in other countries, like you were saying, if the men can step up and say, I don't want my daughter or my Mm -hmm. wife or my mother or, you know, whomever to have to deal with the same oppression that others have had, um, and I've, I brought this book up so many times, and I really love this book. Have you ever read the book Half the Sky? No. So Half the Sky was written by um, a married couple journalist for the New York Times, and she's Chinese, and he is American, and together they were traveling all around the world writing for the New York Times, and they would bring back these stories of these incredibly powerful organizations that were doing grassroots efforts to make a difference Um 
And they would bring it back to the New York Times and they would say, yeah, we just don't think this is going to resonate with people, right? Like, we don't think this is relevant to, you know, Bob on Wall Street or right. Martha in Arkansas. Like, we don't, we don't feel like this is relevant to our readers, so we don't really want to publish stuff like this. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect the, the, the population we're dealing with. And it was so sad. And, and there's a proverb, I think, or, or there, there's some kind of saying in, in, it says, women hold up half the sky. And mm-hmm. so really, the book is dedicated to these women who are running grassroots organizations. And they said the reason is because they would have all these international organizations come in and try to help. Mm-hmm. And they were so ineffective, right? Because of the the stigma you were talking about, about, you know, well, it's, it's the US trying to gain a foothold in our area, you know, they're just trying to come in and take over. And they don't understand our values. And they don't understand our, you know, what we what we do in our culture. And so these international organizations would come in there and really just not be effective. Mm -hmm. But what would happen is a woman who was sex trafficked, you know, would start an organization grassroots where she's literally just going and trying to find these girls because she knows where they're at and she knows the, the players who are part of this. And so, you know, she's trying to make a difference and the women who are, having genital genital mutilation. She's trying to to fight for their rights. And another woman who is trying to encourage women to stand up for their, you know, for themselves. And another, you know, woman who um, was burned with acid Mm -hmm. because, you know, there was a rumor that she had cheated on her husband. Right. And, you know, it wasn't true, but she's trying to protect other women who are in those same scenarios. And so it's just small organizations, these little tiny grassroots, you know, no funding, no international support organizations that are making incredible differences in their communities. So, I mean, I think, I think more people need to understand how, you know, women supporting women and and Mm -hmm. these grassroots organizations can really kind of um, make a huge impact. And um, I interviewed another woman on the, on this podcast who her company just funds she works for a company that they provide funding um donation uh for these grassroots organizations so if i'm a company in the u.s Mm -hmm. and i want to start making an impact internationally i don't just have red cross and a few others to give to she'll actually connect you with these grassroots organizations so i think stuff like that is really important too absolutely so so um what obstacles and challenges have you ever come through your journey so there's 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 been a lot um yeah. some self-created some yeah. <laughs> some 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 others but um i always for whatever reason had a, a lot of 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 confidence in myself and one thing i've learned along the way is women do a lot of self-limiting either not going after an opportunity or a job and so I would find myself early in my career getting mad about something mm. and I finally told myself, well, why don't you say something? Because And and I found that did the trick in a, in a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I was in an organization that really embraced diversity, so that's maybe not true in every organization, but right. my, my first assignment as an operations officer, I felt that I was being disadvantaged and I wasn't being given an the leads that the men in in the group were and mm-hmm. i absolutely adored my chief of station 
And so I asked for some time to talk to him and, and yeah. said, hey, I, you know, I would like an opportunity. I feel like all the guys in the office are getting the leads. And when I said that, he looked like he was <laughs> going to have a heart attack on the spot. And he said, this will be fixed. Uh -huh. And the next day, you know, I had more work than I could do. So I think it, it sometimes it's an oversight or uh, a, a perception that you don't you know, you want to do a particular type of work because you're a woman or, right. you know, a lot of men are, uh, they're worried. You know, she has children, maybe she doesn't want to travel. So right. you have to speak up, up for yourself. I had another example where I, I was further along in my career and I um, was coming into assignment and I was, I had a good enough reputation at that point that I was being given some great accounts. And yeah. so I was like, yes, but I was pregnant. Mm. And I, and I was worried that if I walked into my new boss's office and he saw me pregnant, that he would quietly say, oh, you know what, we made some changes <laughs> and you're, you're going to be doing different accounts. So yeah. I, for right or wrong that day, I bought the <laughs> for that day, I wore the tightest pair of Spanx that I could, <laughs> that I could put on, an all-black outfit, uh -huh. and I went in, and we had our conversation. He assigned me the accounts, and I thanked him, and I promised him I would do my best possible job, and I said at the end, by the way, I am pregnant, full disclosure, and he said, oh, that's great. So... The next day I came in in my normal maternity clothes and uh -huh. one of the women said, I knew you were pregnant. I could tell <laughs> you were hiding. And, and, um, and then I saw him in the lunchroom and he was taking, having a glass of water and he spilled the water and he said, when you were pregnant, I didn't know you were that pregnant. How did you become that much more pregnant in a day? So, but, but mm. what was done is done. And, and I didn't let you know, I didn't let him down. I didn't let any balls drop. Yeah, that, yeah. That's the thing. If you say you're going to do it, then, then, then you, you got to do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. And I think you're right. I mean, had you gone in there and, you know, full maternity clothes, he may have assigned you differently. And so good for you. I think that's an amazing story. So, you know, and that kind of leads me into one of the questions I ask all the time is women, we give our power away all the time, you know, whether it's taking criticism or taking a different assignment or, you know, whatever that might be. So is there a time that you did give your power away? So yes. And, and that's a really good question. And I'm, I'm glad you asked people, but in, in my instance, uh -huh. it was an instance of me giving my own power away right. in, in the, in the CIA and in, and in GEMA, it's everything we do is a team sport. Yeah, so there, there's a, so. not a lot of me, it's a lot of we, and I, I was fortunate that I had really supportive situations. And, and like I said, I, I really think it's important to speak up early. And I did that throughout my career when yeah. I s nipped it in the bud and said, hey, I feel like I, mm -hmm. I need an opportunity here. But but there was one time, and this was later in my career when I was in an executive role and we were filling positions and we were trying to identify a perfect candidate for really 
important job. Yeah. Uh, my boss came to me and he said, we can't seem to fill this. I don't know why. Why don't you think about a- applying, Linda? And I said, I'm not qualified. Uh-huh. I-, I don't have this. I don't have that. And we'll, we'll, I promise, boss, we'll keep looking. I'm going to find you that ideal person. And he looked at me quizzically and said, okay. And then he, and then uh-huh. he left. And, and then I went home that night. And I asked myself, what did I just do? Right. <laughs> I have been in angst my entire career that I feel like I've had to walk up the ladder one yeah. step at a time. And here I'm being offered a chance to go up three steps and I uh-huh. turned it down. These are the opportunities that supposedly only the guys get. Right, so. right. I went back the next day and I asked, hey, boss, can I have a minute of your time? And Uh remember that thing we were talking about yesterday? Is it okay if I still apply? And he said, yes, Linda, absolutely. (laughs) And so I competed and I and I got the job. And and so, um, you know, and and I've I've never I've never done that again. And um, I, you know, I just put put myself out there. And that doesn't mean that I've gotten everything I wanted. I definitely haven't. I've gotten sure. a lot of rejections, yeah, but of course. if if you don't let people know you're interested, yeah, right. they might not consider you. Well, that's fantastic because it's really much, it goes in line with what I have found kind of across the board is that women undersell themselves and men oversell themselves. And so like if, if you're looking at a job application and this is something that it, it's actually a proven fact that women will look at a job and say, I can't apply for that. I only have 80% of the qualifications. And so they will not apply for the job. And mm-hmm. so, so many times it's us holding ourselves back because a man looking at that same job will say, oh, I've got this in the bag. I got 80% qualifications, you know, and assume that job is his, right? Because he meets 80% of the qualifications. And, you know, I think this goes across the board. It's not just, I think it goes with dating. I think men will kind of go, you know, punch a little bit above their weight class and women never will. (laughs) (laughs) But I also feel like, um, you know, women, women will downplay their skills, abilities, looks, you know, uh, everything. And so, um, unfortunately that has become just a trend with us and I would love to see that turn around and us go after those positions you know we can we can absolutely take a job that we are 80 percent qualified for and kill that job you know we can absolutely crush it at that job because we learn as we go you can you can then become a little bit more um I would say educated on what they want and then mm-hmm. be that person, right? And so, like, if they say, hey, I wish you had a little bit better skill set when it came to negotiation, you know, that's a that's a learned skill. That is not something that is impossible, right? right. So if they say if you if they say you have to be 5'10 and you're only 5'6, you're never gonna be able to be 5'10. But but if if it's, you know, I need you to learn a little bit more about negotiation, no problem. There's some great books out there and great courses and great seminars, and you know, that's a learnable skill you can teach yourself. And so so I think we should start really looking at going after those those opportunities because you're right, like you said, like you've been looking for a long time for this perfect person. And meanwhile, you were the perfect person, right? <laughs> and so you were the perfect person for the role and you just had to believe that you were. 
and and I like what you said earlier too about um, the power of of male bosses and mentors who do champion women. And mm-hmm. and I had that benefit in my yeah. career. Now I I did a bit of self selecting to be around those those type of male leaders that that would give me opportunities. But right. for instance, in my current role, like you know, Director Stallings gave me a chance to be a deputy director, and uh, yeah. you know, after just a brief time in state government but that's amazing um, yeah so I I, I want to make sure that I'm you know I make them proud and, yes. and do a good job but um, you know there's a lot of people like him and there's a lot of uh, my former bosses in CAA that I still can't name that yeah, I would yeah. love to but you know without yeah. them and their support I wouldn't be where I am today yeah, thank God for those guys. I, I agree. Um, there's so many exceptional men out there who are championing women and giving us an opportunity. And, and, you know, we cannot look past the fact of the impact that that makes, you know, for the organization and for us and, you know, all involved. So I want to kind of dive into a subject that is pretty important in any kind of law enforcement community um, Mm -hmm. or government community, and that's mental health. So, you know, obviously (laughs) you deal with a lot of really heavy stuff in the CIA, and Mm -hmm. you see a lot of really bad, bad things that go on, but also, you know, wishing you could help more, guilt, or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that feels like. How, How do you how do you protect your mental health and what do you think could be done differently? And, and how do you think we can really support those in law enforcement um, better when it comes to mental health? That is a really important question. And I'm so glad mental health is being talked about mm-hmm. all across our, our society to include young people these days. And the, the, woman you mentioned earlier that worked in child exploitation, the things they have to see are so traumatizing and they have to look at it day in and day out. And working in law enforcement, public service, CIA, FBI, the U.S. military, you start out and it's not so hard, but it does get more difficult over over time. Mm -hmm. And so... I really think people need to prioritize their own mental health. And a lot of organizations have services in-house, you know, but those institutions are designed primarily to ensure fitness of service. Mm -hmm. They might help you, but they're there to ensure that you're fit to serve. So you really have to take breaks recognize when 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 you need that vacation or yeah. a time away um and and some of the things we would do in in CIA is that a lot of people think oh working there it must be like you know James Bond movie yeah. or something but it's really not <laughs> it's much more like living in a sitcom because uh-huh. There's so much heavy stuff happening all the time that you have to be like have gallows humor and yeah. and, and there's a lot of jokes and 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 all of that. But yeah, you need a release. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I think that's why you become so close to those you work with, right? And so there's a there's a camaraderie when you're going through something really heavy, and it's like that shared trauma response. It's something like you know when when people are caught in an elevator, right? For mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours, they t- they talk about how those people have shared trauma and they create a bond. There's a there's a trauma bond there, right? And it, you know whatever that is, and and CIA and law enforcement obviously is way 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 different than being stuck in an elevator with a group, but it's why 
why you form such close connections and why they call them, you know, this the family or the brotherhood mm-hmm. or whatever they call it, you know, in in their own in their own unit. But um, that's something I think is so important, and people re- people don't realize the close connections that you form, and it's mostly because you have that shared, you know, um, bond with somebody that you can't get on a, in a normal place. Right. So they're, they're going through something very similar. And so you can identify with that. Right. Um, and, and a lot of these institutions have kind of peer, you know, formal or informal mm-hmm. peer support and just knowing when you see someone having a bad day to just yeah. to help them out. There's, there's a lot of that, you know, we, we, we did refer to, um, ourselves in CA as a family. And a lot of times people in an email would say brother, sister, that's how you would refer to each other. And Mm -hmm. when I joined GEMA, everyone said, welcome to the family. So there is that idea that we're all in this together. And I think that peer support is Mm -hmm. more important than some employee assistant program. And there's a lot of pressure on senior managers these days to help their employees with their mental health. But senior managers only have so much bandwidth for that. So, you know, so, you know, with, with mental health being so important and the things that you're dealing with, you know, at the CIA or Homeland Security. So if you do go on a vacation, are you able to decompress? Are you able to kind of shut down for a little while and just take that mental break? Or is it just always there? I mean, especially if you're in the middle of an assignment, I would imagine. Well, the great thing about taking a vacation in CIA is the security rules are such that you can't have any access to classified information. So you basically can't do your job. And you were, you were truly (laughs) turned off. Like there's no one calling you. Like my, my husband has always been in the private sector and he always gets calls. So, right. And we have uh, R&Rs and all of that sort of thing. Um, in GMA, I haven't been there long enough to know about <laughs> vacations, but it's been right. stressed to me that when people are on vacation, don't, don't bother them. So, wow. um, I, Well, I think everybody should maybe communicate that across the board because <laughs> I think we all just need, you know, for our own mental health. And there's so many days. And with my job, you know, I do, we do security at events and venues, which mostly take place during the evening evenings and weekends. And so I feel like I never get a day off because I'm working, you know, on work stuff all week. And then the weekends is employee calls and manager Mm -hmm. calls and venue calls. And it's just like, there's no, there's no shutting down. And so every once in a while, I'll do what I call go play in the dirt, which is where I go outside and I will mow the lawn and I'll plant things because if my hands are filled with dirt, I can't answer my stupid cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just go That's play in the dirt because it's like a forced <laughs> vacation. Like I'll play music really loud, can't hear my cell phone, and my hands are dirty. Oh well, I'm <laughs> gonna have to wait for a minute. So, but yeah, so that's kind of my own little forced uh, mental health break. <laughs> no, but you, that's an excellent point. You do have to force yourself to do yeah. it, and and I've been on a kick since the start of the year. Like uh-huh. even if it's only for ten minutes to just exercise and yeah. and to you know. do something to take a break in the day. Yeah. Well, and I, I, yeah, exercise is so important. It's a stress reliever for me. You know, it's not just about being healthy, which is, you know, equally as important. Your body is healthy, but the mental health part of it, the mental health is, is crucial. And I had gotten into a bad habit of when I would listen to my music, you know, for a long time, I didn't bring my cell phone into the gym because it was my time away. Right. And then I started listening to music on my headphones. And so I'd have my phone on me, which meant that I was getting text messages and I'm getting all these other 
So now I joined a class so that I have to put my phone away. But, you know, it's that it's that purposeful, intentional time that you mm-hmm. gift yourself for, you know, whatever mental health needs that you have. So I think that that's just so important and um, just something we need to keep in mind, especially women. We're, we're pulled in so many directions, right? So I feel like we never really are down, you know? <laughs> like we're, you know, we get home from a really high-stress job and now we're, you know, trying to manage our household with our spouse and our kids and, and community stuff and volunteer stuff and shopping and whatever else is, is on our agenda. So it's really hard for us to take time for ourselves, but it's so crucial. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to 18-year-old you? <laughs> so I have teenagers, uh-huh. and I know 18-year-old Linda probably wouldn't have listened to me, <laughs> just like my kids don't listen to me now. Yeah. But I would say to myself, you know, have a little more fun while you're young, yeah. and, and you still maybe have some dance moves. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and to take more vacations, because I worked pretty full on, and... I, over and over again, I would work myself to burn out mm. and then need to take a vacation that wasn't a real vacation. It was just being exhausted and, and yeah. coming back to work. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and I would also tell myself to, to listen to Garth Brooks, the dance, uh-huh. which I wouldn't have done cause I didn't like country music <laughs> right. back then, but really I, I I, I love the theme of that song that life has ups and downs and, and mm-hmm. you glad, you're glad you didn't know it because, yeah. y- you know, you, you wanted, you yeah. would have missed the dance. Right. Oh, I love that song. It just gave me chills. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one last question. This has just been such a great, insightful conversation. I've just truly enjoyed talking to you. But what do you wish more people knew? <sighs> well, there's a, there's a few things. One, I touched on it earlier that... It, the CIA and and I would add FBI, other federal organizations are much more diverse than people realize. People yeah. think of those organizations as white male dominated mm-hmm. groups, and that hasn't been true in CIA in a long time. We're not where we want to be in terms of diversity, but yeah. we've made tremendous strides. And and there's power in that diversity because we do our our jobs better Mm. um so people from all walks of life um and you know whether it's race or sexuality or religion work at cia and because you're undercover and the way we communicate and especially if you're in the field your identity is so obscured you you sometimes don't know if you're talking to a man or a woman if it's over email so um you know, I would really encourage, we have trouble recruiting yeah. sometimes. Um, and, and so I would encourage people if you're interested, you know, g- g- give it a try. The other thing um, I, I would put in a plug for is I don't think enough people in the state of Georgia know how much the Georgia Emergency Management and Homeland Security does for this state. Yeah. So we're one of the few agencies that's not funded primarily by Georgia taxpayer dollars, we get most okay. of our money from grants. So we are bringing money into the state. Oh, and interesting. the vast, yeah, the vast majority of that money by law has to go to counties and cities. So um, because of the the ethos of the organization, we're not yeah. a me, me, me type type group, but I will say them that for them since I'm yeah. new that, that they do a tremendous amount of work. And they're just coming off of three years of being in a state of emergency status because of, of COVID, you know, they set up all mm. the mass vaccine sites. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they they did a lot there. Wow. So, so where where can we find information to protect ourselves? So you said mm-hmm. so the CIA has a website that you can go to and they'll have kind of unclassified information. Well, the so the best source, you know, the most transparent organizations right now, in my opinion, are mm-hmm. um, CISA, mm-hmm. which is a part of DHS that puts out a lot of information, uh, practical tips on cybersecurity, physical security for buildings. Mm-hmm. FBI puts out a lot of information if you're part of their partner network. Um, they also just put it out, you know, on LinkedIn or, 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 or their websites. GEMA okay. um, puts out information. So, yeah. and even NSA, the other day put out some information. I was so proud of them. I'm yeah. like, NSA, you never <laughs> talk to anyone. But but they yeah. put out some information. So I would really look to, to those groups. Yeah, because, you know, when you turn on the, the local news, all you hear is shooting here, stabbing here, you know, this awful thing happened. Mm-hmm. But where's all the good news that we really could use in our lives that might protect us you know do we have to go seek out that information because I don't feel like the local news is telling us hey by the way you know this is what's happening in the world and I would love to see more of that right no and 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 it gets back to you know being responsible for the own information that you consume and and finding those sources because that the the fact that the book you mentioned earlier that those authors couldn't get their articles published that's not what sells that's not what people click on and so you really have to find that positive information because it it affects your mental health and it it, it affects your your security the way you view the world the way you view politics the way you view Mm -hmm. your community and it can become a really and we've known this for years that social media puts you in a silo and you've got to break yourself out of that and 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 it's not that hard to do Mm -mm. so yeah I agree with you and you know you can I know a lot of people who say oh I don't even watch the news and but then I'm like well but then where do you get your information Oh, social media. It's like, that's even worse. Like, right. (laughs) I need you guys to please be a good source of (laughs) real information. But yeah, that it's actually hard to find. I feel like you have to seek it out these days. It's not readily given to you. Um, you know, and it, and it's so skewed when it is. And so it's a little scary. It's a little scary out there just, you know, unless we can get really good, solid, um, you know, unbiased information. I think it's hard to trust where the, the source is coming from. So Right. Well, and, and this is a very odd topic to be positive about, but I, I would look at where America is after COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of ways, I mean, so many people died. Yes. Our children lost education for years. Their college opportunities. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a tremendous tragedy. But but with, if you compare our experience to the experience of other countries, yeah, what what we didn't lose in that process was our civil liberties. A yes. lot of countries, you know, put apps on your phone, really, and yeah, because they needed to know right where you were. You know, I remember wow. a serviceman telling me a story that he was in a, a Domino's and in. in um, an Asian country, and he got an alert, you have been in proximity to someone with COVID, and now you were stuck in your teeny tiny room for the next however long it was. And it was because he went into that Domino's to pick up a pizza. That was it. It wasn't like a close and continuing contact like here. And those countries are not going to take that technology off those citizens' phones. Right. But 
you know, we we held on to our our liberties, and again, that is, I I don't you know say that to minimize the tremendous tragedies sure. and and challenges we've had as a country, but I think comparatively speaking, we've come out of it stronger. Well, and um, it kind of goes back to the point of for everything that you think is you know a move forward, there's a sinister counter move, right? And mm-hmm. so the counter move to that was oh, we're doing this to protect you, but really they're doing this to track you. And so it's, you know, when when they're putting an app on your phone, they can use that for a lot of really awful things, right? right? And so, yeah, I agree. Wow, that's really good to know. But And yeah, and I'm, I'm coming out, out of 25 years of living a life, you know, sure. in clandestinity, <laughs> and now I'm in this world of radical transparency. <laughs> and, and again, I just think, you know, the best thing we can do as a country is have well-informed citizens that mm-hmm. know the risks, understand it, know how to get good information and be smart about their own safety in all aspects of life. And we're just going to be so much stronger. Absolutely. Well, amen to that. And we'll end on that note. But thank you so much, Linda Criple, for being here and being just such an amazing inspiration. And I love your story and I love everything that you're doing. So kudos to you for the new position. Thank you. And I just know this is this next part of your journey is going to be just as exciting and just as rewarding and just as impactful as everything you've done so far. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you again for everything you are doing for women. This is an incredible platform. And thank, thank you, you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. Fantastic. Well, I hope everyone has an amazing day and you can find more about Linda Criblay on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.